We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter number two. Excited to be with you more. Again, uh, we're going to be in this new sermon series that we're starting and talking about being blessed, you know. Let me ask you a question, Grace Baptist. Let's take a survey for just a moment. How many of you want God to bless you? Raise your hand. All right, so there's a couple of prideful people in here. I got all I need. No, you don't. Listen, when you unpack what that means, what it really means, we talk about to be blessed, what a lot of people think when you say that is having everything that they need, having everything that they need, right? They think that's what it means to be blessed. A blessed person is one who has everything they need. And really, a lot of people, when they say, I want to be blessed, what they're really saying is, I want to be self-sufficient, right? I want to be independent. I, I, I want to be able to uh, just depend on myself and nobody else. A lot of people, that's what they're really saying. Matter of fact, it's a goal in life. I don't want to have to depend on nobody for nothing, no how, anytime, any place. I'm just, if I'm blessed, it's just me. And we don't want to depend on people. Why? Because people let us down. Raise your hand. Has anybody ever let you down? Amen. It might happen before this service is over. I don't know. People will let you down. You often hear about, you know, how people don't want to depend on anybody. You hear about it on social media a lot, on Facebook, right? Usually that girl that was dating that guy, she shouldn't have never been dating to begin with. And when that goes south, like everybody in the world knew, except her, evidently. And when they break up, now what's the first thing she's going to say? I don't need a man. I didn't need him. It's just me. I love me. I love who I is. God created me, and I don't need a man to fulfill me, right? You, you must, because in two weeks, you're going to have a new one, amen? <laughs> and then a month later, I don't need a man. It's me, right? You see it all the time. I don't need anybody. I got, let me let you in on something. The louder and the more often that somebody says something like, I don't need anybody, the more likely it is that they definitely, absolutely need somebody. We want to be completely and totally self-sufficient in every way, self-reliant. And if you talk to a lot of people, though, and we say that, I just take care of myself and I, so I can handle it and I can do this. When you talk to a lot of people, when that's their attitude, when that's their spirit, a lot of times you find out that something's missing in their life. Something is missing. There's kind of this, it seems like the more somebody's trying to be independent and claiming not to need anybody, not to need anything, there's this, I believe that a lot of believers are kind of, I'm talking about Christians, okay? So all the pagans, you can tune me out for a second, but the Christians... I believe are living what I heard this one pastor call it a low grade depression. You know, you know, like a low grade fever, a slight fever. I believe that many believers, many Christians are living every day under the surface, blessed in every way on the outside, but underneath this kind of this low level depression every single day, this knowing that something's not right something's missing, this low level, kind of this cloud over their life. And if they would be honest, uh, they would admit there's got to be something more. Now, in this series, when we're talking about blessings, we're going to be looking at some things that you may never have thought of as blessings before. And when we think of a blessing, many times we think it's God meeting our need. And this morning, what I want to help you realize is many times the need really is a blessing that the need is a blessing. 
And matter of fact, that's the first thing that we're going to look at this morning, that every person who has ever created, from Adam and Eve all the way down to us, has had this same need. Write this down this morning. Take some notes. God created you to need him and to need his people. God created you to need him and to also need the people of God. He created you with this need, and this need is a blessing. Look in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. We're going to read through verse 21. It says, Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into the holy temple in the Lord. Now, those of you who are believers this morning, uh, you're members of the family of God, and he created you with this need, this need for him, fellowship with him, and this need for other people, for the other uh, members of the body of Christ. You are fitted together, depending on one another, and if your goal is to be independent, I don't need anybody and I don't need nothing, this, listen, that is not a biblical stance. When God created you, he created you to need him and to need each other. Matter of fact, look at this next slide. To be independent, and I hope you understand what I'm saying here, to be independent is to be distinctly not or non-Christian. This idea of independence, uh, for, oh, I don't need God and I don't need anybody else. This idea is not an idea that you find in scripture. You don't find it in the New Testament. The Bible doesn't talk about that, right? The Bible doesn't talk about how if it's meant to be, it's up to me. That's just not a biblical stance on what it means to be a Christian. God blessed you with a need for him and a need for each other. In fact, this need is so great. One time this guy was talking to Jesus and he, you know, he's like, hey, Jesus, because that was his name. And he said, hey, hey, Jesus, um, there's 613 commandments. And uh, so what's the most important one? What's the greatest commandment? Look in your notes, Matthew 22, verse 37. Look how Jesus responded. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, you're created for fellowship with your heavenly father. You're to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. You have to need God in your life. Now look at verse 38. He said, this is the first and great commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Like you show me someone who's saying, I don't need anybody and I don't need nothing. It's just me and I can take care of myself and I don't need nobody. You find somebody like that. I don't, how are they loving their neighbor as themselves? It's not. To be independent from the body of Christ is distinctly non-Christian. What does he say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You need each other. And yet so many times, we don't lean on each other, and we, we have this goal to be independent. When God created us with this need to be dependent upon him and dependent upon others. Now, this, this, this morning isn't some Sunday school pitch, okay? But one of the best ways that we meet that need is through our small groups. When you have opportunities to gather together, like in Sunday school or in our small groups, right? That's where you're connected with other believers. Uh, with, with our multiple services that we have, I mean, think about this for a moment. Uh, some of you right now, you're wondering, why didn't so-and-so come to church today? Well, she did. She was in the first service, amen? Because if there was ever a time to come to the first service, it was fall back Sunday, Amen. It was a good time to do it. In our first service, that's the shortest mission trip you'll ever take, right? And so, and so 
But imagine if you sat here in the back corner and you sat here, you know, you know, people, they may, here at Grace, you don't get to sit in your same seats every Sunday. You try, but you get shuffled around like a deck of cards, right? And so I have, but you like to sit in the same region, right? Most of you that sit over here, you're always over here. And most of you that sit over here, you may not be in the exact same seat. But think about this. If all you do is come to Grace for worship once twice a month and you sit over there and then somebody else sits over there and when the service is done you head out the doors what opportunities do you have to even to get to know each other on any level at all it's not going to happen and the best way that we get to know each other and all of those things is through our small groups through Sunday school we're connected we open up God's word we celebrate what we're celebrating together we we're sad when we're sad together we hurt with those who are hurting and we commit to be a functioning a part of the body of Christ connection happens in small groups so God created us with this need to need him and to need each other. So what I've done is I've kind of defined this in two very specific ways this morning. Write this down. Number one, we need a spiritual family where everybody knows your name. What? You need to play. Sometimes you need to go where everybody knows your name. The, the, the best way that you could do this, again, is in, <laughs> is in one of our small groups, right? In community, that's the best way that this happens, right? Again, it's so difficult to even know each other's name. I'm the pastor. I don't know all of your names, right? And so this happened one time. Um, on Wednesday nights, if you come on Wednesday, Wednesday nights are awesome at Grace. If you don't come, uh, you should come. And... Um, we have people that only come to our church on Wednesday night. There's some people, the only time that we see them is on Wednesday nights. Maybe they have a church home the rest of the week, or maybe it's the only night they feel comfortable. And there's this one lady, uh, she started coming several months ago. Now, Wednesday night, we don't ask for guest or visitor cards. One of the best things about the guest cards is I can kind of look at the card and I can go, oh, yeah, 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 that's that guy that was asleep through the whole service. Yeah, and I recognize him. And so it helps me put names with faces. But on Wednesday nights, you know, we don't ask for guest cards. And we just we have an awesome time. Wednesdays are special at Christ. But, and so, but we have people that only come on Wednesday nights. So it's a little bit more difficult to get to know them. And, and, and so, um, and I knew this lady. I knew her name. Okay. I knew her name. Okay. I did. And then there were some other ladies that were visiting for the first time Wednesday night. And I went to say hi. And she's standing there. And all of a sudden she turns around and she says to me, what's my name? And I looked her right in the eye, and I tried to make up some joke. I knew her name for real, but it just fell out of my head. You ever have that happen? And I tried to make a joke out of it, and she's like, what's my name? And I was like, I'll be right back. And I just left, got in the truck, went home. Alicia called, you forgot me. I had to come back and get her. I went and asked another lady, hey, what's her face over there? I can't remember her name. What's her name? And she told me. And then I was leaving. I, I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> that would be bad, okay? But I was leaving, and I was like, and she was still out there talking. I said, bye, Scooby-Doo. And, oh, that's terrible. Bye. And, and, then she, and I said her name, and she goes, you just looked it up on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, no, I didn't. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, we're not friends. Friend requests. Now we're friends. And then I realized, wait a minute, now she's going to think I really did look it up on Facebook. 
It's really difficult in this environment to really get to know each other and spend time to get to know each other in an intimate way. And one of the best ways you can do that is in a small group. You need a place where people know your name. They know who you are. They know your life. It's, we can do life together. What you need is something. I heard a pastor share this, and I've never forgotten, and I absolutely love it. You need to have believers, Christians, in your life that have this thing that I like to call. Look at this next slide refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights, what I mean. Listen, when this worship service is over today, me and Mama and Amber Baby and Marcus Baby and, and, uh, and all of, we're going to go home. Now, if Amber Baby, she's at Union and college and stuff, and so I only get to see her for five minutes on the weekend, come home. But listen, that's, that's the point. Um, and so Amber Baby comes home and she goes in the fridge and starts fixing her a sandwich. You think daddy's going to say anything about Amber Baby fixing a sandwich in the fridge? Right? No. No, I want, no, Amber Baby can have a sandwich if she wants one, right? Well, as far as I'm concerned, she can come to your house and fix one. I don't care. But say if an acquaintance, somebody I barely knew, came to my house. I'm like, hey, come on over to the house. Let's have coffee. And you come over and having coffee, and Alicia comes in. She's like, hey, you want something to drink, something to eat? And then that guy got up and said, sure. And then he went into my kitchen and went in the fridge and just started fixing a sandwich. What would, how would you, I would, Alicia, eating my stuff, man. I don't even know this guy, right? And so, well, you invited him. I don't care. It's, it, would that be normal? No, it wouldn't be normal. Family has refrigerator rights, don't they? They walk in, go in the fridge, open it, and, you know, whatever. We need believers, other believers, Christians in our lives that we're close enough to that they have refrigerator rights. That where what I have is theirs and what they have is mine. Well, we care for each other. We carry each other's burdens. We carry each other's troubles. We love each other. We need to have refrigerator rights. Matter of fact, you find this in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And I love this picture that we find here where the people are saying, the church, we're family, man. What I have is yours. What you have is mine. Look in your notes, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now listen, that's not normative. That's not, we're not called God. This is the only church in the New Testament that you see this. It was a time of persecution. It was the birth of the early church. Many people were having all kinds of problems. I'm not, the next point isn't go home and sell all your stuff. Right? And let's all pitch in together. The idea that I want you to see here is this idea of breaking bread from house to house. That church, those believers had refrigerator rights. They had refrigerator rights. They were that close together. How many Christian friends do you know? How many other believers in your life have refrigerator rights? When, when you have other believers, strong, godly believers in your life, that you know their name and they know yours and you know each other, you understand what it's like to be part of the family of God. That when somebody rejoices, we all rejoice. When somebody hurts, we all hurt. Why? Because we're family. Family hurts with family. Family rejoices with family. Family gets in the refrigerator together. We need to have refrigerator rights and be part of the family of God. We're a spiritual family united in the bond of Jesus Christ. It's important and it's real. So you have a need. God bless you with a need. You need him, and we need each other. 
You need to have a place. You need to go where everybody knows your name. And number two, they're always glad you came. Does that sound familiar? What does that mean? Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. Cheers. Romans 15 verse 7. It shows us how we can praise and glorify God. Look at it. It says, therefore, receive one another. Um, that word receive. And another translation, accept. Accept one another. Uh, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. You want to bring glory to God? Then receive one another. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. The reason why so many people don't open up or never transparent, never build real friendships and relationships in the body of Christ and don't want to be vulnerable and don't want to rely on other people is because they've done it before. And they were rejected rather than accepted. Because they've done it before. So as a spiritual family, we accept one another. Now, it doesn't mean that as a spiritual family, everything is okay. It doesn't mean that sin isn't sin. It doesn't mean that some things are wrong and some things are right. But it means that when we're in the body of Christ, when we're believers in Christ, we accept and love on one another. Matter of fact, there's this, um, there's this really cool story in the Old, Te Old Testament. Uh, who's heard of the guy named Mephibosheth? I call him Phibby. Okay, Phibby for short. This guy, Phoebe, what happened was he was crippled in his feet from the time he was a small, small little boy. Just a little child. He was crippled in his feet. Both of his feet were broke. They weren't set. He's crippled all his life. Now, you have to understand that in the culture of this time, that to be crippled was seen as a sin, right? Oh, God's judging you for something. You did something or somebody in your family did to your mom and dad. Somebody, you're being judged for sin because if you weren't, if it wasn't for your sin, you wouldn't be crippled. So people looked down in a big, big way, anybody who was handicapped in any way. And so, and not only that, and so how Phoebe, how Phoebe was actually hurt was because his granddaddy was Saul. His daddy was Jonathan. And so when Saul lost his life, David is coming in to take over the kingdom of Israel. And what would be normal in those days is if you were the new king taking over, you kill everybody. Right? Whoever the king was, you kill his mama, his daddy, his brothers, his sisters, all his kids, his grandbabies. The, you'd, you'd kill all of his servants. Anybody that might have a little bit of loyalty to the old king, oh, he's got to go. All right? So what happened was Phoebe's just a little baby, a small little boy, and his nurse had grabbed him when she heard David is coming. She had grabbed him and took off running, and she fell. And that's how he got hurt, and that's how he got crippled. Well, one day, uh, David, after he's been king for a while, and Phoebe's out there living in the, uh, the backside of nowhere, being a nobody, everybody, you know, it's, not, it's not, good, not a good life for Phoebe. One day, King David says, is there not anybody? See, Phoebe's daddy, Jonathan, and David were best friends. They were family. Jonathan had refrigerator rights in the life of David. David had refrigerator rights in the life of Jonathan. And so David's there. Jonathan's been dead for some time. Saul's been dead for some time. And David's sitting there saying, you know, is there anybody, anybody left from the house of Jonathan? He's thinking about his family. He's thinking about his friend. Is there anybody that I can bless for Jonathan's sake? And just in memory of my friend, my family, Jonathan, is there anybody left? And one of the guys is like, yeah, there's Mephibosheth, there's Phoebe, you know, but he's crippled. And you know what they say about crippled people? Well, I added that part. There's Phoebe. It's almost like, and you can read it, but it's almost like, you know, don't bother. 
And I can, it doesn't say this, but I feel it. That David is like, well, you, no, you go get Mephibosheth. You go get Phoebe. You don't understand. Me and Jonathan, we're family. Jonathan's my boy. Jonathan had refrigerator rights in my life. Me and Jonathan, we're family. Jonathan's family is my family. That's the only connection that they, he had with Mephibosheth. And so look at, uh, look at that verse, 2 Samuel 9, verse 13. This is how Mephibosheth lived the rest of his life. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Because of David's relationship with Jonathan, because of who Phoebe's daddy was, and Phoebe's daddy was Jonathan, but because of who his daddy was, he ate continually for the rest of his life at the king's table. Listen, when you have a brother and sister in Christ, and you know who their daddy is, our heavenly father, and you have a relationship with them, and you get to the point where you have refrigerator rights, it'll not only be a blessing to you, but it'll bring glory to God. We need more people in our lives like David and Jonathan. Every single one, what I love about Mephibosheth is his messed up feet. Because every single one of us has messed up feet. His was visual, and you could see his, but you've got your deal, you've got your baggage, you've got your issues, but we thank God that we can find healing, forgiveness, restoration in the body of Christ through Christ. We can find that in community with other believers, we can prop up our crippled feet and say, man, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Can you help me? Your crippled feet this morning could be almost anything. You might, maybe you neglect your family for your job. Maybe you struggle with your self-image. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. Maybe you are struggling with drug abuse. Maybe you struggle with some kind of sin in your life. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you're not being the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. Maybe you're not supporting your husband so that he can be the spiritual leader that God is calling him to be. Maybe you've got a negative, critical, gossiping, murmuring spirit. You just not where you need to be with God. Crippled feet. And what we need around us are people that we can show our crippled feet to. And know that they'll love us and that they'll pray for us. Now, some of you now, this, I, I can already read your mind. You're going, you know, you don't know, Brother Marcus. I've tried. I've tried being connected to a church. I tried being involved with a church family, and it didn't work. Nobody knew my name, and nobody cared that if I, if I came. You might even say, you know what? I went to Sunday school once. Didn't like it. Didn't know anybody. Didn't really get much out of it. Well, duh. It doesn't happen when you, you walk into a church once a month. It doesn't happen you go to a Sunday school class one time. Look at this next slide. Family takes time. Family, it takes nine months if everything goes right to have a baby. Family takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And you have to be fully engaged and awake and willing for it to happen. If you're just going to continue to live with that low level, right, that, that little low grade level of depression and just wanting to continue to kind of struggle through in the muck and the mire, nothing's ever going to change. But you have to be engaged and you have to realize family takes time. And you might say that I don't have time. You're right. But you've got time for everything that's important to you. You say, I don't have time for anything else. You have time for everything that you choose. 
We have a limited time here. That's why several weeks ago we talked about this, and I said that in my life I want to have a 100-year filter. If this isn't going to matter in 100 years, I don't want anything to do with it. Because, you know, as a pastor, sometimes we get pulled in different directions. And so I want to make my decisions of where I invest my time, invest my energy, and things that matter. And let me tell you what's going to matter in 100 years. Let me tell you what's going to matter in eternity. People. People. People are going to matter in 100 years. People are going to matter in eternity. If you don't have time for people, just be willing to admit that you don't value them. We make time for what we value. If we don't have time for people, it's because we don't value them. And there's going to be challenges, man. When we're fitted together in the body of Christ, right, one day somebody's baby's going to die. One day some guy's going to die. One day some tragedy's going to come, and that's going to be hard because when they hurt, you hurt. One day a marriage is going to fall apart, and that's going to hurt because when they hurt, you hurt. But then one day you're going to get the bad news. One day you're going to be the one hurting. And they're going to be there for you because that's what family does. God created you with this incredible need to need him and to need each other. And I know some of you are still convinced at this point, I don't need anybody. Let me tell you something. Think about small groups or even being actively 100% engaged in this body of believers. I don't need anybody. For one second, as a believer in Christ, has it ever occurred to you that they need you? How many years will you have to be a Christian? How long will you have to be a believer before you come to the shocking realization that it's not about you? I don't need anybody. You really think they don't need you? Because they do. In a big way. When you're truly connected and someone has a need, someone has a hurt, you're going to feel that and you're going to help with that because we're family and that's what we do. God has given you a need that we need each other. But before we can even get to that point, we have to fulfill that need, that need for Christ. You need Jesus, the son of the living God, the one who came and lived so that we could live, the one who died so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus has to be the center of it all. We're talking about needing each other and loving each other and all of those things. It's pointless apart from Christ. Look at this next verse. Jesus said this, for where two or three are gathered together, I am there. No, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. The only way that we can ever really be family if Jesus is the center of everything. And when that's the case, he will absolutely bless it. God creates you to need him and to need each other. Too many of you are trying to do it independently and alone. How do I know? Well, I see your Facebook, amen? I am blocking the preacher. That's why I'm just blocking the preacher. He's not looking at... No, because I've been there. Listen, so many of you are living. Let me just give, tell you your story briefly. You drive to work alone. You work out alone. You, if, you, if you read your Bible, you read your Bible alone. If you pray, you pray alone. When you cry, usually you cry alone. It's not good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said this. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be. Throw that verse up there for me, guys. Is it not there? That's not possible. <laughs> the Lord raptured my slide, guys. It's, 
Listen, God has blessed you with a need for each other and for him. And it's not good for us to try to do life alone. It doesn't work. And some of you have been trying it for a really long time. Oh, yeah, you've got your family and all of this. But you come, when you come to church, you've got everybody out here. Don't get too close. Right? Don't, don't count on me for anything. Don't expect anything. I'll show up. And the reason is because you've been hurt. And the reason why it hurts is because it's important. Unimportant things don't hurt. Things that don't matter don't hurt. And God has blessed you with this need for him and for each other. And he wants us to be joined together in the family of God and a very fitted together. Look at this next slide. Yeah. Don't come to church and go home. Really be the church. A body of believers that cares about each other, that you, that you need to be here so we know your name. And we're always glad that you came, that you're making a difference, that you're fitted together into the body of Christ, that when somebody hurts, you know it. And you can help meet a need. You can pray for someone and that you care. Don't come to church and go home. Be the church, the spiritual family of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what you need. And that's what you've been missing. But do it. And don't just do it for you. I don't need any. Well, fine. That's not true. Let's pretend like it's true. Right? Do it because other people need you. They need you praying for them. They need you helping them and helping them be who, uh, who they can be in Christ. Be the church, the spiritual family of the Lord Jesus Christ, and do it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you uh, for the needs that you've given us that lead to such blessings. Lord, I thank you that you've created me and all of us to need you and to need each other. Look, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. Uh, be really respectful of the person next to you. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Assume a posture of prayer, if you would. Some of you right now, you're saying, yep, I've been trying to be independent. I'm just out here by myself. And you know that you're saved. You, you believe that you're saved. You have a relationship with Christ but you don't have a shared relationship with Christ. In other words, it's you and Jesus and you're just trying to struggle through on your own. When he's given you a family, man, to love and to nurture and to care for so that you can be loved and nurtured and cared for. And I'm not, at this morning, I'm not talking about being a church member, but is it your prayer this morning to be more engaged more loving, more caring, more giving, more prayerful, more deeply connected in every way to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that your prayer, to be engaged and to care? I just want to pray for all of us. Slip up your hand right now. Is that your prayer this morning? You want to be more engaged, more loving, more prayerful, more giving? Awake to the blessings of Christ in a body of believers? Let me pray for all of us. Father God, thank you so much that we can not only know you personally, but you give us a shared relationship with other believers in Christ. Lord, that you give us a spiritual family. God, I pray that you would just uh, sow our heart, connect us in such a deep, intimate way with other believers who know you and love you. God, that we could be transparent, we could be honest. Lord, we can be our real selves, crippled feet and all. 
and acknowledge that we belong completely to you and we belong to each other. God, we're asking you to just take our willingness to make a difference in the body of Christ. As you keep praying this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, there's some of you, you might be thinking right now, you know what, something's missing. You know in your heart, you're not really a believer. You've never truly surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never gotten there. And you know things about Jesus mentally. You know the story. But you've never really applied it to your life. And what's missing is you don't have a relationship with the God that loves you so much. Matter of fact, would you look up for just a second? The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 talking about who God is. It says, he who does not love does not know God. Could it be the reason this morning why you don't really have a love or fellowship with the body of Christ, the people of God, is because you don't know the love of God? This verse says, he who does not love does not know God. That may be the problem. It says, for God is love. That's who he is. God is love. That's his character. And God loved you so much. Listen, if he's love, he created us so that we could be loved by him and we could love him in return. But we know that our sin separates us from God. It keeps us because he's not just loving. He's also holy and perfect and pure. And so then we have that other Bible verse, John 3, 16, that you all know. We talk about all the time. For God so loved the world. He loved that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of his love for you, he has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. And in your heart, in your life, maybe you're operating at that low-grade depression, that darkness over your life. And what you need is a new heart. Christ Jesus will come into your life. He'll make you new, brand new. He paid the price for your sins and for mine. It was that perfect sacrifice on the cross. And there's those, some of you are here this morning because God has called you here so that you could understand and you could finally surrender your life to Christ. You need Jesus. You need to be forgiven of your sins forever. Head knowledge won't do it. You've got to surrender your life. Again, you may know a little bit. You may even be able to you could go over here and teach one of our kids' classes, right? You could go over there and you could color the ark. <laughs> you could color the rainbow. But you know, in your heart, you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That those who die in their sins will go to heaven anyway. He wouldn't sacrifice. He wouldn't pay such a huge price if the consequences weren't so dire. Don't leave this place without Christ. Give it all to him. Ask him to save you, and he will. Let's pray one more time. Again, guys, that's you. You know it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask him to save you from your sins. Ask him to come into your life, give you a new heart so that you can love with the love of God. And that's your prayer this morning. Yes, Jesus, save me. Change me. Make me new.
I surrender my life to you. That's your prayer. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. But if that's your prayer right now, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I promise you, I will not call you out. I will not drag you up here. I just want to pray with you. And if that's your prayer right now, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, surrender your life to him right now. Would you slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. Who else? God bless you. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? Again, it's not the prayer. It's not, I mean, not the words. It's not magical. It's you surrendering and humbling yourself before God. Just acknowledging your need for a Savior. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Pray. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I sin. But I turn from my sin. And I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, Lord, I'm putting my faith, my trust, my everything in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Tell him, say, Lord, all of me, I'm surrendering to all of you. Save me, Jesus. You know that verse that I love so much. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you just prayed to receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit just came into your life. A new creation. You've been made new. Not fixed up, not remodeled or rebuilt. He's given you a new heart. 